uh, I feel like today should be my obligatory, every year I make this announcement about Halloween. So here's my announcement for Halloween. And a lot of churches and a lot of places, they're like, oh, Halloween's that evil, scary holiday. Stay away from it. Go to a harvest festival. Don't. Okay? If you don't have kids, my encouragement for you is to stay home, open your doors, turn on your lights, and hand out candy to kids that come to your house. Hand out good candy like Jesus would do. Don't give out Tootsie Rolls or things that will rip kids' teeth out of their head. Give them good candy. I hand out full-size candy bars in my house because I want kids to know that Jesus is someone who I love. So you get a full-size candy bar. I Come to my house. I don't care. You're going to get the Skittles first, though, because I'm allergic to citrus and I can't have them. That's why I bought them, so I wouldn't eat them because half the time I buy candy bars and I eat them before the kids show up. <laughs> anyway. So buy good candy and hand it out. If you do have kids and you're, and you're going to go out, go out trick-or-treating in your neighborhood. Get to know your neighbors. It's a great time because you go ding-dong and they open their door and they're happy to see you and they give you candy. It's probably the only day of the year they're going to do that. So it's a great day to get to know your neighbors. Say, oh, hi, I live down there. These are my kids, so-and-so, so-and-so. Unless they're creepy, they'll be like, thanks. Right. I'll, I'll take your candy apple, yeah, you know. Anyway, so you get to meet your neighbors. It's, it's a great holiday to do it. So don't run away from it. Redeem it. Use it in a great way. That's my Halloween announcement. All right. And I have one more announcement, and that is time changes next week. Time ch- you get an extra hour of sleep. This is a good one. This is the good one. Yes. Yes. I swear. I'm not going to know what to do with myself get an extra hour of sleep. I might just be a little too peppy next week. We're going to see what happens. So... Those are my announcements. Hey, welcome to Element. If you are new, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes. They look like this on all the communion tables throughout the room. Inside, you'll get some questions and notes to reflect on what we talk about today. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Version. Once you download it, all it says is Bible on it. And you click More and then Events in that. We will come up by GPS in your smartphone. And you will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, and everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 19 and it says this, bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money answers everything. (laughs) We'll explain what that means. Let's pray. Uh, Father, this morning we ask that you would teach us to be a people who live in your wisdom, uh, who trust you for the things that you have said and the things that we go through in our lives and that we would honor you in the midst of all of those things, fully reflecting on who you are first, bringing you great glory as you teach us to live in joy. Uh, Have us live out this wisdom that you teach us throughout the book of Ecclesiastes in ways that does bring you honor and glory. Amen. All right, have a seat. Uh, This is Ecclesiastes week 28. We have four more weeks after this week is done, and then we finish the book. And this is the last day I'm going to be spending in this roundabout cycle we've done through chapter 9 and chapter 10, where I keep going back and looking at things from different facets and different ways, trying to explain all these different things Solomon is going through. Uh, Sometimes I get so many notes because I read and listen to so much stuff that when I go to preach through stuff, i got to whittle it down. And 32 weeks of Ecclesiastes is me whittling it down. So I don't know what that means if I didn't whittle it down. So we've been looking at these verses and backtracking and going forward, and all all comes down to the ideas of wisdom and foolishness and work. And today we're going to talk about those exact same things. So open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. 
And uh, in our culture today, there is literally an infinite number of categories that we try and break people into. And I'm just not talking about, you know, all the different stuff going on today with gender identification and things like that. I'm talking about really who people are, how they live, all of those things. In much of the wisdom literature, which Ecclesiastes is a part of, what it does is it does break people into categories, but there's just two of them. And it's not men versus women and rich versus poor and evil versus good. What it does is it breaks things down into wisdom and foolishness, just those two. And some people get very irritated that the Bible would classify some people as foolish. And if that's you, maybe you fall on that side. I don't know. Uh, wisdom and throughout the scriptures is different than wisdom is typically in our culture. In scriptures, wisdom is people who live their lives in a rhythm with God, rather than listening to all of their own words and resisting God's will. Solomon has spoken some principles about wise living as he's talked through many things in the book of Ecclesiastes. And when we have these principles that he talks about combined with God's spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in us, it teaches us how to live in wisdom that governs our lives. Now, the scriptures in multiple ways teach us how to be two-handed in various areas. And in this area, there's two-handed approach to what's called principles and methods. There's a lot of principles in the scriptures. There's a, there's a few methods, and we have to know what the difference are between those. And so when you look through different things in the scriptures, what I mean by that is principles where God says, love me, honor me, glorify me, love others, be kind, be generous to everybody that is around you. But the scriptures then don't come along and tell you how to make your own budget. It doesn't have, tell you how to set a diet or discipline your kids because they're different from every other kid. It doesn't tell you how to love your spouse specifically. It's that God gives these principles in wisdom, and the Holy Spirit, when we rely upon Him, leads us into ways in how we live that out. As an example, I am called to love my wife. How I love my wife may be different than how you love your significant other. And how my wife loves me might be different than how your significant other loves you. A couple weeks before I wrote this message, my wife says to me, Hey, you want to go up to Royal Granny to Fig Mountain Brewing and get those nachos that you like? And I'm like, Sweet Jesus, of course I do. That's amazing. And then she says, Oh, great, can we stop at that antique store that's around the corner from that place on the way? It's funny, right? But she's going to be loved by going to the antique store, and I will be loved by nachos, because nachos are amazing. We, we assess our lives and the situations that are around us, and because of the principles in Scripture, we want to live those out in ways that make sense of wisdom in the midst of our lives. A lot of people today will either, either overestimate or underestimate their abilities in situations. Like if you're 5'1", you're never going to play in the NBA. You just got to get over it. And what Ecclesiastes chapter 9 did is it walked us through to assess things rightly. And chapter 10 is now speaking about these principles for living things out in a way that honors God in our lives, but also honors honors who we are and how we were made. So chapter 10, where we're at now, he's going to start off giving three little vignettes. Uh, They're very practical, but they may not relate, so I'm going to try to make them relate as we go through it. So chapter 10, starting in verse 8. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. Verse 9. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. Verse 10. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. Now, believe it or not, these in the scriptures, they are very encouraging towards wise living. And he tells us there are certain things in our lives that are self-destructive, but there's other things that we come along, and they're not really good or bad. Accidents just kind of sometimes happen in life. And he says, sometimes you're going to dig a pit, and you might fall into it. Uh, You might bust through a wall. And for us, it wouldn't be like a serpent. It's more like there's a spider in there, because you're Santa Maria, and 
Western exterminators needs to come along and kill all those things. But, you know, there's a spider behind the wall, and you might get, you know, bit by it, or you're hurt by rocks when you're quarrying them, or you're splitting logs or sawing a piece of wood, and you get a splinter, which I know because I get splinters all the time. Some believe Solomon's saying, oh, you've got to be really careful. The world's not a safe place. What he's saying really is when you're wise, you'll make certain plans and start to live those out, but you're not always sure what is going to take place because God's sovereign over everything. Wisdom is okay to make plans, but many times our lives are going to be fraught with peril. Because once you still make a plan, you've got to be careful because anything you do could turn ugly quickly. And so these are illustrations of people who are simply doing their jobs and they're falling prey to certain dangers that are inherent just in doing life. The injuries are accidental. They're not punishments for bad behavior or people being evil. They're not mentioned so the wise person can avoid them. It's just they're unavoidable accidents. Uh, the, you're, you're out in your backyard. You're digging a, a ditch because you've got a pipe that's broken. It's like, oh, okay. Then you turn around and forget where you are. You step in the ditch, you fall over and break your arm. Oh, no. I didn't break my arm, but I've done that a few times. Uh, you, could, you could be punching through a wall, and there could be a spider in there. It's either like, oh, it bit me, or ah, and then your tool goes flying that way and takes out something else on their side of the room. Happened to me. Okay. Uh, you, could, you could be landscaping your own yard. Think, oh, it looks great. Turn around. If you forgot to, you put that rock right there. You trip over the rock, fall down, break your arm uh, did not happen to me, but it could very easily. And maybe you could be having a romantic evening with your significant other. And it's like, I'm going to build a fire. It's going to be great. Get everybody in the mood. And you go outside to chop some wood. And you take a splinter in the eyeball. And you've got to go to the hospital. It's these unavoidable things that happen. Now, this is really true to life. Do you know that every year, vending machines kill 13 people by falling on them? Yes. It's like, hey, honey, what do you want? Oh, I like some M&Ms. I'll go get you some M&Ms. And it gets stuck. And you're like, come out of there. Boom, it falls on you. Dead. Ruin the evening. Horrible, right? 100 people are killed by icicles falling on them in Russia alone every year. How about this? 450 people die every year from falling out of bed. I'm like, that is going to be me, right? That is totally going to be me because my bed's really tall. What Solomon says is accidents happen. Ditch stickers don't always fall into the holes they dig, and stone cutters don't always get hit by falling rocks, but sometimes they do. And in context of all that Solomon has said, this is the ideas behind wisdom and foolishness. This is what all these things come down to. Wise people know that they should work smarter and wiser in the things that they do. He says, if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If an axe is dull and it is unsharpened, you're going to use so much more effort to chop down a tree than you would if it was sharp. Solomon says, failure to pursue wisdom results in profitless hard work, like a logger seeking to chop down trees. (laughs) Well, we're not using this video. (laughs) I have no idea what just happened. But I blame it on Joseph. <laughs> anyway, so it's, it's like, a, I think Driscoll called this section a butter knife logging. You're going out with this big axe, but it's like dull as a butter knife, and you're using all this effort to knock down trees. Fools keep swinging their butter knives while the wise take time to find a sharp axe or to sharpen the axe that they have. He's pointing us to working smarter and not just harder. That life goes easier for those who plan before jumping into things, but God is still ultimately in control of all of our plans. And so you work smarter, and that usually outperforms working harder because non-planning and failure 
tend to go hand in hand. Practically, this means the logger who sharpens his axe is going to knock down more trees. Uh, people who change their oil in their car are going to get more mileage out of their car, more than just like once a year, right? The homeowner who does late regular maintenance on their house is going to have more equity. The parents who discipline their kids are going to have more peace when they go shopping with said kids. Uh, the person with a budget is going to have a savings account for a rainy day. And a Christian who studies the scriptures before making big decisions is going to be able to live in God's wisdom and how they live out those decisions. It's kind of what he's saying. Chapter 9 and 10, again, this big push towards wisdom and foolishness. Now, some commentators have taken these verses, and they've gone the opposite direction with them. And they said, oh, this is about evil people. Uh, Psalm 7, verses 15 and 16, David talks about an evil man. He says, he makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. And that's the idea that every folly we commit, there's always the the opposite and equal opportunity for self-destruction in doing those things. Like in addict who seeks the thrill of a hit or the calm of a drink ends up wasting their life away. Or a selfish spouse who always wants something their way and never comes along and says, how can I serve you? They may get what they want in the short term, but in the long term, they're going to be alone. Uh, angry parents always try to get their kids to do what they want, and they push and they push and push, and it just pushes the kids farther away, which leads to more chaos, more anger, and ultimately less control. And these are the pitfalls of folly. Dig the pit, you might fall in, break down the wall, you might get bitten by the spider or whatever, but it's all meant to push towards the idea of working smarter and wisdom and trusting God in everything. So you have those first three verses. Then verse 11 comes along, and it actually goes along with it, but it sounds like it's saying the exact opposite. This is what verse 11 says. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. So this is saying sometimes there's danger in not acting swiftly enough. He's saying wisdom has to act. Like the person with the PhD in snake charming, if he forgets to charm the snake, he's going to get bitten and he's probably going to die. This is prayerful and careful planning precedes living, but those plans must be executed in order to be any help. Like, anybody here have a diet you don't do? Ooh, wow, apparently that's a lot of you. Uh, anybody ever buy an instrument that you, that you played once or twice and you don't play anymore, just sits in the closet like, I want to play that one day. And then you're like 90, it's like, I'm going to die before I play that thing. Right? So, something like that. that. That's the idea. Anybody, you have a desire to know and love God, but you don't read your Bible or spend any time with him in prayer. There's a difference between wise people and foolish people, and sometimes that difference is not a desire or lack of planning. It's who actually executes the plan. So wisdom is not only knowing what to do and planning to do those things, but also getting it done. Like, it's not enough to know that we should love God and love others. Do we actually live that out in our lives, loving God and loving others? Do we pray now before crises arise in our life? So once a snake is charmed, it's kept under control, but until then, it's very dangerous. So you get busy, you charm the snake before it bites. Together, taking these verses together, it's that we need wisdom from God, because sometimes it is important to take more time to plan, but other times we need to act before it's too late. And wisdom, through the guidance of God's Spirit, is going to help us to know which to do at the proper time. There's a famous Roman uh, poet, his name is Ovid. I'm sure you guys have all heard of him. Okay, this is what he says. At times it is folly to hasten, at other times to delay. The wise do everything in its proper time. 
You could say the wise person is never early and never late. They're always right on time, just like God. God is always right on time. And some of this you know, timely wisdom comes from life experience, and some comes, comes from talking to people who also have more life experience than you do. Typically, they're older than you are. The best way, I think, to gain true spiritual wisdom, though, is by listening to the words of Jesus. Because believe it or not, Jesus knew the difference between wisdom and folly. Uh, Matthew seven twenty four to 27, Jesus tells the story of a wise man and a foolish man. And the wise man builds his house upon the rock, on this solid foundation. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but the house stood because it was on a solid foundation. The foolish man builds his house on sand. Oh, this looks good. I think I'll stick a house right here. And the rains came and the winds blew and the floods rose and the house fell and great was the fall of it. Jesus not only believed there was a difference between wisdom and folly, but it believed many times that difference would be the difference between life and death. Uh, the wise man builds his house on the rock. What does the rock represent? According to Jesus, the wise one is he who hears these words of mine and does them, lives them out in their lives. More than anything else, what makes somebody foolish is not listening to the words of Jesus or the words of God. And so, therefore, we build our lives on the solid rock of Jesus and his word. And what is that? That's the understanding, first and foremost, of God's rescue of us, of what the gospel means. 2 Timothy 3.15 says that God's word is able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's where it pushes us. So, back to the practical things of this. So, you make a plan, uh, implement a plan. What comes next? Solomon says you pursue wise people. So, as you're living this out and things come at you, you've got to figure out, what am I doing? Who do I listen to? Uh, verses 12 through 14. Uh, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and you can tell him what will be after him. If you want to be wise in a certain area, talk to people who are wise. That's what we do. Uh, when people are wise, we listen to other wise people. And this is important because our world today does not lack for information or or facts, or trivia, or opinions, and if you want to believe some really weird thing, there's going to be some Reddit user out there who agrees with you, and they will find some PhD somewhere who's going to come along, and they're going to say, oh, I found this PhD, and he agrees with your really weird, stupid thing. Most advice and counsel of foolish people starts off really silly, and then just becomes plain nuts as it goes along. Like, there's this blog out there called The Starter Marriage, and in this blog, this guy says, your first marriage shouldn't be the person you plan on being married to. It should be practical. Like, like it's the preseason or something, right? And you're waiting for when the, when the game actually, actually comes around. You know, it, it, and so he says, so get married, find what you like, don't like, dump that one, and then marry somebody else. You can tell it's written by a dude, by the way, right? There's a certain prominent rock star who said that what saved his marriage was his girlfriend on the side. He is now divorced, by the way. He is now divorced. Our world is full of completely stupid ideas, and yet the ideas mostly come from ourselves. We say things, convince ourselves of the dumbest things. And the scriptures teach us. This is why we need to listen to wise people and God himself. We should seek counsel, but it should be from the wise. So who are the wise? Well, ask this. First, number one, do they fear God? Proverbs 9.10, that's the beginning of wisdom. Awe and reverence for who God is and what he has said. Secondly, do they know what they're doing? When you ask them a question, do they, do they make sense in why they're doing a certain thing? And thirdly, do you see execution? Do they have follow-through? Do they have just a whole bunch of words and never follow through? Or do they actually do what they say they're doing? It is like this. If you have kids, at some point in your life, you're probably going to want advice. 
Maybe, okay, at some point. So look at people's lives around you who have kids, who have been through certain things and dealt with certain things and issues. How do they deal with it? Don't just look for people who have perfect kids, because if someone has perfect kids, they're drugging them. I am convinced of it, right? Because kids are tough. It is why we have children's ministry on Sunday mornings, because your kids are loud. And the louder I get, the louder they get. It's like, ah, right? It's why we have it. It's why we have it. You know, and so you look when you're going through things, you find parents who have loved their kids with a strong arm of love and discipline together and that they love God, how they raise, and that's who you ask questions to. If you're getting married, find someone who has a good marriage, a good one, and ask them questions. Say, hey, can we come over for dinner? You're going to freak them out a bit, right? But ask them that and go over. Take, go with a list of questions. Don't just show up and say, oh, why does your marriage work? Ask them specifics of things that you actually want to know. I think a lot of people today who have the best testimonies think that they don't. We think that people in the church have to have testimonies like, you know, uh, I was a crack hoe and I killed my mom and ate my dad and then I came to know Jesus. Oh, praise God. Well, you got a great testimony. Why don't we, why don't we have you share? It's so weird. Oh, you know, not that I have any problem with, but, but oh, look, Kanye West. Let's have him. It's, you know, it's, there's all these things, right? And really, I love people who have testimonies. It's like, you know what? I grew up and I love Jesus. And now I love him some more, and I plan to love him even more. I mean, that's, that's a great testimony. It is. And wise people speak words of insight and give counsel that is helpful and gracious and godly. Again, as Christians, it is okay to begin to plan your life and things in there and work those plans, but trust that Jesus can and will move in and change anything whenever he wants to. And so we become increasingly wise as we surrender every part of our lives to him. Then we teach other people around us and give counsel in that and how we can trust him as we walk through different things. Solomon says, though no man knows what is to be and who can tell him what will be after him, knows one knows what's coming. And so wise people, they plan for the future, but they know it's not an exact science, but that God holds everything in his hands. And it requires faith in who God is and where he is leading us rather than just trusting ourselves. So we hold our plans with open hands as we make them, allowing God to move in and do anything he wants to do because tomorrow could go any number of directions. All right, so then what happens? So after that, then we need to begin to understand how wisdom actually works, which is where Solomon then goes. Verse 15, the toil of a fool wearies him. Like, foolish people are just worn out all the time. What do you, I don't know, but I'm tired. Okay. The fool, the toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. In context of where we've been in chapter 9 and chapter 10, the way to the city would be the way to the city of wisdom. Okay, living in wisdom. And so here it is. A foolish guy is supposed to be going into town, but doesn't know the way. He won't ask for directions from other wise people. He won't pick up a map. But he's more than happy to tell you how to get where you think you need to go. That's a foolish person. Like, this is a good question for us, though. Do you know what you even did last week? Right? It's like, oh, my life got so crazy, and I don't even know it. Do you have a calendar? Do you write things down? Do you know what you spent your money on last week? You get your credit card bill, and you're like, Holy cow, where'd all that go, right? Do you, do you even know? Solomon keeps coming back to this idea that we should know our objective. And ultimately, that should be to love God and glorify God. And in so doing, we'll begin to love others and serve others and bring God's glory to the entire world that we're a part of. But in practical sense and applications, this could be for us as simple as taking a nap when you need a nap. It could be working smarter by sharpening your axe. 
How many of us get so many things that just overwhelm our lives every single day and we're so disorganized? It's like, how much time do you spend looking for the remote for the TV or the garage door opener? Never realizing that God made this thing called baskets to put things in, so that's where you put it when you're done with it, right? Or you spend so long looking for your keys that you end up late for work and getting in trouble, not realizing God made this thing called hooks to hang your keys on so you know where they are every single time. And I gotta tell you, I'm foolish in this because a couple weeks ago, my friend John dropped off the trailer with all all the pumpkins for carving today in it at my house. And he hands me the key, apparently, I don't remember this, but in front of a bunch of people, and he says, and he goes, stick it in your pocket. He goes, and you put it in your pocket. Well, I was wearing a sweatshirt with no pocket, so, but he says, anyway, whatever. He gave it to me, right? We spent hours yesterday looking for this key that he gave me to be able to get this. We got a new key made last night. We're hauling it up there this morning. But I'm foolish. I should have just hung it. Well, he's foolish for giving it to me. But we should have just hung it on a hook like a normal person should. But that's the idea. Working smart. A fool doesn't know where he's going. He's just overwhelmed by everything. Verse 16. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Now, I'm not trying to be mean here, but this is really, woe to you who have leaders who are just like you. Ouch, right? Like, do you know that there are people out there sitting around thinking they can run a, a city, a state, a country better than it's being run right now? There's a lot of people that do that. We listen to news radio or whatever news programs, you know, validate what we think. And we think, what does that guy know that I don't know? Sometimes maybe how to read. I mean, I don't know. But we think, I'd be a better governor, a better president, whatever it is. I wish they were just, just like me. And we don't realize we have to take a step back and listen to other people because we don't get to see our lives from the outside. We only see our lives from the inside of what we see. So we need people to come alongside us who are wise to help us point back to what our lives actually look like in the midst of what we're going through. We think the only difference between us and other people is luck, and sometimes it's wisdom. It's wisdom. And I think if we knew that and understood that, we could walk into more and more wisdom. Verse 17, he says, Happy are you, O land, when your king is a son of nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. This is not saying, oh, you've got to keep it in the family line. This is the idea of people of nobility versus a child. That's wisdom and foolishness. The word child there is not limited to people of a certain age. It can refer to people who are older in a political context who are still immature. You know anybody like that? Well, maybe, right? Solomon uses this word when he, when he first took the throne of Israel. He is 20 years old. And in 1 Kings 3, 7, he says, I am but a child. That's the word he uses because he realizes that he doesn't have all this experience. And he acknowledges that before God and other people. You contrast that with Solomon's son, Rehoboam, who was 41 years old when he took the throne of Israel and was not nearly as wise to understand that he was a child. And his court was corrupt, and his judgment was unsound, and his kingdom was divided. These two things together, understanding the difference between being a child versus living in wisdom, being an adult, are meant to push us towards listening to the right people. Because living in wisdom in these verses will also speak of our own little kingdoms. That, that sometimes when we are lazy about wanting to live and walk in wisdom, things in our life start to fall apart. Verse 18, through sloth the roof sinks and through indolence the house leaks. It's that if you are foolish, everything in your life starts to suffer. This could be things like your car, your house, your computer, your fence, but it could also be your relationships and the people that you're meant to be in covenantal relationship with. Uh, 
people go to baptism sometimes, and, they, and they'll look at my, our house and be like, man, your house is really nice. Or, and I'm like, well, you know, we don't spend as much time as we should clean it, but we clean it a lot. And then like, oh, your yard's really nice. You know how much time I spend working on that dumb yard? It's like, ugh. Sometimes I can drive down the street, and some, it, it's bad because I become judgmental, but I'm like, does this person not even know where the Home Depot is? Really? You know, it, it's like this, this foolish th- and wisdom as you look at different things around you. If you are a single guy, h- how about this practically, right? If you're a single guy, what does your room look like? Where, where do you live? What, what, is it, what does it look like? If you don't take care of the place that you live now, how is the rest of your life going to fare? Girls, if you're dating some guy, and it's like, and it's like oh, I want to have kids with this guy one day. What does this room look like? Do you want to raise kids in that? Guys, look at your girlfriend's room. Not that you should be in there, but you know, uh, what, what does it look like, right? Do you want to raise kids in that? They're, they're practical. It's not judgment. It's meant to be practical things. Wisdom, wise life, growing in wisdom, because it's meant to push us somewhere to bring us certain things. Verse 19 then comes that when we started with, bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. So in context, that is about life and relationship. It's not saying it's a sin to be poor. It's, it's a sin to be foolish that can lead into you know, being poor in that. But wisdom knows the value of a buck. It's not just talking about money for money's sake, though. Proverbs 17, verse 16, most likely written by Solomon, says, Of what use is money in the hand of a fool since he has no desire to get wisdom? Solomon rightly says, yeah, a lot of problems in your life could be fixed if you had money to take care of them, but foolish people fail to connect wisdom with how we spend our money together. Like if I gave you a million bucks, how long, not that I'm going to, but if I did, how long would it take you to blow it? I could blow it really, really quick if I wanted to. So what he's doing in these words of taking all of these things and saying wisdom is going to connect money with the home and a large dining table, and inviting friends over to eat our food and hang out and laugh at our jokes as you laugh at their jokes. It's about wisdom leading to life and joy, and a wisdom that comes as God leads us where we're supposed to be in our lives. Some commentators think verse 19 is very cynical on Solomon's approach, that he's saying, oh yeah, life's approaches and and these pleasures, oh, it's just about money. But that's not what he's doing. In context, and you can't take these things just on their own, they have to go together, it's talking about wisdom and foolishness. Uh, Solomon, you know, says, you know, there is a limitation of money. If you go to the New Testament, you'll see where it warns us not to trust in Hebrews 13, 5, uh, not to worship it in Matthew 6, 24. From a practical standpoint, money does do a lot of stuff, and wisdom understands that, but foolish people don't make the connection of why that money is there to lead us to places where we can interact in each other's lives. And then you get to this really odd ending of verse 20 of chapter 10. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, and some winged creature tell the matter. If you take that verse out of context, it sounds really odd, especially in our culture. Oh, don't talk about about the rich? Well, that was written by a rich man. How dare you say that? In context, wisdom and foolishness. The rich that he's in here is talking about is equating that to wisdom. And so what he is saying is, don't curse the wise for their wisdom. Listen to somebody who is wise. Don't just rebel against it. You can weigh what they say, but don't just rebel against it. Have you ever said something about someone, and then next thing you know, they've heard the thing that you said? Wise people, in a way, work to a place where they guard their tongue. You don't got to fight with the cop who pulled you over about a ticket, right? Or if they go to the court about it, you got to argue with the judge about the thing. There's this dying art in our culture that wise people understand, and that dying art is called shutting up. Okay? Sometimes it is good just to be quiet. 
because you can go through with the little grief as possible. And it's this idea that all these pieces are go together to push somewhere of a wise life and a wise home life and a wise relationship. And I think where Solomon ends is a good place to understand and reminder that we need to be silent before the king. And who is our great king? Jesus. Right? So we become silent and listen to what he says because he is not a child. He is our great king. Psalm 37, verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not, over, fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Uh, Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Job 6, 24. Teach me and I will be silent. Make me understand how I have gone astray. Lamentations three twenty six. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And I have said this multiple times throughout Ecclesiastes of where you go back to Proverbs 9.10. It reminds us that through all of this, wisdom is found in reverent worship of our king, where we become silent before him. Again, because our king is not a child. Our king is wise. And he loves us so much that he has stepped into our own foolishness to rescue us. And we can be a people who are renewed every single day, though we have chased after our own foolishness over and over and over. The good news is that God has come to rescue us in Jesus from our own folly. And we can leave behind that folly and begin to live in in wisdom. But we need to be a people who learn how to be silent before him. Because what we understand is when God speaks and leads us, the first place he's always going to lead us is to the cross, to understanding the gospel, uh, the good news of his rescue of us. That's the reset point for all of us. Our God is wise, and too often we spend so much time praying and and yakking at him that we never stop to listen, because when he does, that first place he takes us is to the foot of the cross, the understanding of what we talk about every week at communion, where you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken for us, and you dip it in the wine of the grape juice that reminds of his blood that was shed for you and me. Why? Because this for us is the beginning of wisdom. In this reverential fear and worship of who he is at this place of our own rescue, where he leads us back to consistently and constantly, because that is what is going to change our worldview from one of foolishness to one of wisdom. It will have us be able to look at everything that our culture teaches in different ways and be able to weed out what is true and what is false, because we're going to see it through the lens of the gospel first. God's rescue, our great king coming to bring us back in again. And if you want to talk about true wisdom, that's true wisdom. Because it's a wisdom that is not founded upon ourselves and our own temporary opinions. It's founded on the eternal hope that we have had in God from the foundation of the world. That is real wisdom. And that's where God always brings us back to when we listen to him. So the band's going to come up. As I do, I'm going to invite you to take communion. There's going to be some deacons in the back. And if you guys need prayer, maybe you're in a place today that you've spent a lot of your life chasing your own wisdom and what you think you should do or other people around you should do. And you realize now that things are falling apart because you have trusted in your own wisdom. Well, they would love to pray with you about that. Uh, There's a lot of things that we do and get ourselves involved in that we think are so brilliant at the time. uh, And then all of a sudden, we end up in a place where things just fall apart. We don't need to be you know, running away from the places where we have failures, where, where we fall. What we need to do is understand that we turn and trust what God has spoken over us as he draws us to himself. All the places we fail and fall are meant to be places that we turn around and trust him instead of ourselves in those things. So often those are failures make us want to run away from who God is calling us to be. Run away from him because, oh, God couldn't love me because of how terrible I am. But I think everything you read through all that Solomon has said is that in the end there is only one true wise king that we get our wisdom from. And that is Jesus himself. 
and so we must trust him. Yes, there are things that are very practical throughout Ecclesiastes, but true ultimate wisdom will only come from trusting Jesus himself. So that's where we must land, our great king who has rescued us. And if you need prayer, they'd love to pray with you. There are offering boxes next to every door. Uh, we give because God gives so much to us. Giving is just part of our worship. We don't pass the plate. It's always a response. There's some snacks outside. Grab something to eat, uh, but not too much because we're going to have food at Pumpkin Killing. Uh, get to maybe know some other people, take some sermon notes, ask some questions. You know, what areas in your life are wise or foolish? Maybe ask somebody who is on the outside of your life to speak into your life and say what things in your life that they think are wise and foolish and listen to that so that we can begin to grow in ways that honor Jesus in all things. Guys, our God is gracious and good, and he calls us to be a people that trust him in everything that we do, because when we do, we will be a wise people. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I thank you for being so gracious and good to us. Father, I thank you for your rescue, your calling, you leading us to you. And I ask that in that understanding, we would listen to you as your spirit spirit leads and guides us through all these different places in our lives so we would live in wisdom. I ask that you would teach us to learn how to be silent before you and hear the words that you are speaking to us so that we would trust the things that you say, that you have said, and that you continue to say. And we, as your people, will be those who begin to live out that wisdom in practical ways. That we would speak wisdom into one another's lives. And when we don't know the answers, we would you know, seek you together. That we would trust you for the things that you have said and continue to say. Father, teach us to be a people who get a glimpse of how great our God truly is. How much grace that we have been given because of your rescue. And that we begin to live that out in a way that the entire world would know how good you are and all of us would say how great is our gracious and good God who deems to give us wisdom in the midst of our foolishness and draws back to yourself in the midst of our failures. Father, teach us to simply love you back as you have first loved us as our great and good God. And we ask this in your son's good name. Amen.